This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. A science story, huh? It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about seizing the day. Those moments when you confront your fears and insecurities and face challenges head on. Ten years ago, I suffered from paralyzing fear of public speaking. Every time I had to give a speech or a presentation in a class, I would get that feeling like maybe it would be easier for me to just change my name and move to an island somewhere and start my whole life over again rather than have to do this assignment. After I moved to New York, I signed up for a storytelling class here with the full knowledge that at the end of the class, we would have to perform one of our stories on stage. And I just kept thinking there would be some way to get out of it. Like maybe I would get lucky and come down with pneumonia and not have to do it because I loved stories so much. I was just so scared of being on stage in front of an audience. But the weeks went by, and alas, I did not come down with a terrible illness as I'd hoped. Although on show day, I did have anxiety to the point that I broke out in hives all up my left arm and had to wear long sleeves when I went on stage. But I did it, and guess what? I lived to tell the tale. And I was so fired up after that that I started telling stories all the time, and each time it got a little bit easier. And if I hadn't confronted that one fear, I wouldn't be where I am today with what is, in my opinion, (laughs) one of the world's greatest jobs, sharing these stories with you fine people. So if you've been holding back this year out of fear, we have two stories for you today that I hope will inspire you to seize the day. Our first story today is from Kevin Bergio. It was recorded in October 2018 at Real Artways in Hartford, Connecticut, at our show in partnership with the University of Connecticut. The theme that night was intellectual humility. It's midnight. It's the night before I'm giving a big talk at a major international conference. I'm crashing at my friend's Airbnb. I've been traveling all day. I'm just exhausted and I just want to go to bed. So I unzip my suitcase, I pull out my pillow, and I reach in to grab my pajamas, and I feel something cold and wet. Why are my clothes cold and wet? And in that moment, I I just catch this, this whiff, this aroma coming from my clothes, and I knew what it was in an instant. For those of you who have cats in the crowd, you know where I'm going with this. That's right, my cat snuck into my suitcase the night before and pissed all over my clothes. And this is my big debut. This is the first time I'm getting up in front of a bunch of 
important scientists to talk about my dissertation research, which is on the global conservation of parrots. So I looked down in my suitcase full of cat piss clothes. And I looked down at my, the shirt that I'm wearing, and it's caked with dry sweat because it's Washington, D.C., which is a literal swamp, and it's August, and I walked up a hill 20 minutes from the train station to the hotel lugging my suitcase. And to just make my anxiety even higher at this point, I was waiting on hearing back from a job I applied to at Brown University as a postdoc. And I just knew I got that job. I killed the interview. And I, I knew this so deep in my bones that I had already created this narrative in my mind. See, I'm, I, I'm a kid from Boston, and I grew up on welfare, and I actually ate government cheese. So if you don't know what government cheese is, it's a block of cheese-like substance, <laughs> and it just, in big, bold letters, just says cheese on it. That's it. And I'm only the second person in my family to graduate high school. So I'm thinking, I'm like Goodwill Hunting. In fact, I am the real-life Goodwill Hunting, this poor kid from Boston who's going to make it in the Ivy Leagues. And I'm, I'm so invested in this narrative, and this is really embarrassed to admit into a room full of people. I don't know. Well, I know some of you. Anyway, I was planning on getting the Brown University crest tattooed on my back. That, that's how important this was and how invested in this narrative I was. So I look around the Airbnb to see what I can do. There's a washing machine. Great. Problem solved. Put all the clothes in the washing machine. The goddamn thing's broken. And it's midnight. I can't call anybody to come fix it. So I look around more, and I see there's a sink, and there's dish soap. All right. So I wash the shirt with the dish soap. I wring it out, hang it up, and go to bed because I'm just exhausted. Wake up in the morning. I smell the shirt. It still smells like cat piss, but not just cat piss, also dawn now. <laughs> so I'm like, well... <laughs> So this has got to be my plan B. So I'm like, I'm just going to go buy a new shirt. So I Google all the local clothing stores around the hotel. And it's a hipster neighborhood. So all they have is vintage clothing stores. And apparently what that means for, for men is you have a very limited selection of 70s, really shiny polyester, Paisley, huge lapel shirts. And at the time, I was finishing my dissertation, and I'd put on a lot of weight because I was stress eating all the time. I'm not going to tell you how much, but it was quite a bit. And so I, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to try this shirt on. Anything's better than going up in front of a crowd with a catfish shirt. And so I put on the shirt, and it's puckered like this. They're all super tight. I guess in the 70s, they didn't really have the dad bod thing going on. So I can't, I can't give a presentation with my skin hanging out. It's not very professional. 
And it's certainly not acceptable for a golden boy who's going to make it in the Ivies. So I look down, and I'm just resigned at this point. I'm going to go give this talk covered in cat piss. It's nothing else I can do. So I walk back to the hotel. I get to the conference center. And it's about a half an hour before I give my talk. And I'm standing in the, the hallway outside of the room that I'm going to give this talk. And it's just a regular, generic hotel. It's, everything's taupe and beige. The, the, the rug just has this intricate pattern. If you stare at it too long, it gives you a terrible headache. And it's just, it's quiet because everybody's in listening to other people talk about their research. My phone buzzes, so I pick it up, I look at it, and it's an email from the guy from Brown. And at this moment, I'm like, this is my goodwill hunting moment. This is it. Break out the tattoo gun, I'm ready to go. So I read the email, and I didn't get the job. And at that moment, this narrative I build for myself just crumbles. And this boy, this grubby boy from Boston who ate government cheese, who played street hockey with a crushed beer can instead of a puck, who picked up used heroin needles on his fourth grade playground, that boy was standing there in that shirt with all the cat piss on it. And all the things that I ever told myself about how I didn't belong in school, doing what I'm doing, and how... I was an imposter just waiting for everybody to figure it out. It all wells up inside me. I am the imposter in that moment, and I don't belong here. But I, I'm, I'm like, I, I need to calm down. I need to calm down. So I take, I start doing a breathing exercise. So I breathe in. And I smell cat piss and dawn which doesn't do anything for my anxiety just to be perfectly clear about that but there's 15 minutes left before I have to give my talk the doors open up people come in, come in and leave get ready for the person who's talking right before me robotically I just kind of walk into the room and I sit as far away as everybody as I can. And I'm sitting there and there's sweat beating up on my skin and I'm stuck in my chair with indecision. I, I, I can just leave. I can just walk out. Nobody knows what I look like. I can just leave and they'll call my name and nobody will answer. And they'll just move on. And is that better or worse than having everybody listen to this garbage research that I did? Because I, it's got to be garbage. But the time just disappears and suddenly the person ahead of me is done. And I didn't hear a single word they said. So I see my, my title slide up on the presentation screen. And the moderator gets up, and she calls my name. And I don't know what else to do. So I stand up, and I walk to the front of the stage. And I turn around. 
And at that moment, I'm standing there and I'm standing here. And I think, well, maybe because I'm standing here, I belong here. So I open my mouth and I say, thanks for everybody for coming out. My name's Kevin Burgill. Now let's talk about parrots. That was Kevin Burgio. Kevin is a U.S. Air Force veteran, first-generation college student, and currently a postdoctoral researcher in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Connecticut. Outside of science communication work, his research focuses on using an integrative approach to understanding the ecology, biogeography, and extinction of parrot communities. He also advocates for inclusiveness in science, and you can follow him on Twitter at krbergio. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Before we move on to our next story today, I want to take a moment and from the bottom of my heart, thank each and every member of the Story Collider team for their work this year. I want to thank first and foremost my co-director, Liz Neely, the single most powerful person I know. Liz, I love you and I fear you in that order. I want to thank Lindsay, our operations manager, without whom we would actually literally be lost. That's not a figure of speech. That's literal. I want to thank Zoe, our senior podcast editor, who always edits out my bad jokes, or at least that's what she tells me anyway, and Gwen, who helps us out on the podcast side as well. I want to thank our board members, Sally, John, Louie, Ken, Tracy, Ali, Ben, and Steve. Thank you so much for your guidance this year. And I want to thank all of our Sweet Baby Angel producers, Ari, Katie, Paula, Tracy, Miriam, Shane, Kelly, Mesa, Emma, Other Emma, Eli, Audrey, Joseph, Kayla, Josh, Jesse, Misha, Zach, Skylar, Nissa, Christine, Caridwin, Daisha, Fiona, Steve, and Other Steve. Thank you all so much. These folks care so much about these stories, and they put their hearts and souls into this work. Recently, we had a conference call all together to go over the year, and I wasn't sure how to end it, so I accidentally just said I love you to all of them, but then I realized later it's true, and I do love all of them, so it's fine, and it works. Uh, Ed, we're really excited to share some news about new additions to our production team in the new year as we prepare to launch shows in Chicago, Dallas, Seattle, and Milwaukee as well. And I want to thank, of course, all the volunteers, the venues, the photographers, and the technicians who have made everything we do possible, who've gone the extra mile for us this year. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Really looking forward to working with all of you next year. Our next story today is from Divine Joyce. It was recorded in October 2018 at the Fox Cabaret in Vancouver. The theme that night was Catalyst. I completed my third year 
of biology uh, when I set off to do co-op. I worked as a research assistant on a traumatic brain injury study uh, where we collected data from patients who sustained a head injury. And so patients would come in uh, to the hospital, to the emergency department, for a variety of things like fish bone stuck in throat or shortness of breath or even toe fractures. They would even come for bigger traumas, uh, like car accidents. Um, and I, my job was to enroll patients who sustained a head injury, order their blood to be drawn, and order their blood to be drawn and facilitate neurocognitive assessments. So the first couple of months, I really pushed myself to get these enrollments. I pushed myself hard. I wanted to show that I was capable and that I was good at my job. However, at the same time, I was becoming increasingly aware of how unhappy I was with myself. Deeply unhappy with who I was, what I looked like, and where I was heading in life. And so, at work, I was outgoing, I was enrolling patients, but outside of work, I really didn't find any happiness from simple things in life like sipping on a nice warm coffee, or walks around the park, or listening and dancing to my reggaeton music. And oftentimes when I would have dinner with my friends, I would sit down and completely zone out and have to be brought back to the conversation by my friends furiously waving at my face. And so I started retreating from my friends and family. I would come home after work every day, bury myself underneath a pile of blankets, and just scroll through my social media, mindlessly scrolling, which would make me feel even worse. I started binging unhealthy food. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't working out. And I think it was a combination of the stress of having a new job, of transitioning into this new job, um, and being so unhappy with how I looked, as well as my unhealthy lifestyle that overall led to the dissatisfaction in my life. Three months into the job, there was this long week of not having enrolled a single patient into our study. And so I was taking it quite hard. And there was a long week of not enrolling anybody simply because it was a slow week in the ER, which was obviously a good thing. Less people were hurting themselves or less people were getting into accidents. But this added an extra pressure onto myself because I wanted to enroll patients that were eligible. That Saturday morning, I was working by myself and an ICU patient comes into the hospital. Um, he was eligible for our study, and I read his chart. This patient was a young male in his early 20s. He had been on a building watching the sun rise when he fell off the building and sustained a severe traumatic brain injury with multiple fractures and multiple brain bleeds. He was sent to the ER and was quickly moved to the ICU for better monitoring. And he was unconscious, so I knew I had to talk to the family in order to get consent for a blood draw. And because although I wouldn't be able to do any of the assessments with him, his blood would still be invaluable to our study. But I couldn't bring myself to approach 
this patient's family because I was scared and I was terrified and I just couldn't bear to add on to the burdens that they had already. So I waited for my coworker to come because there's safety in numbers and we went up to his room together. And the curtain to his room was partly drawn. There was a sign that said, respect this space, laminated onto the, onto the curtain. And, and at this point, I knew that the patient was in comfort care and the prognosis wasn't looking so good. And so, I don't remember what he looked like. I don't remember his hair color. I don't remember the shape of his eyes, his nose, his mouth. I can't, I can't, I can't remember any of that. But I do remember the tube coming out of his mouth that allowed him to breathe. And I remember more tubes and IVs snaking across his body, a monitor in the corner, beep, beep, beeping. His head was bandaged, and he was wearing a collar for stability. And we met his family that was surrounding his bed. And I can tell you, it was one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever had to experience. And we found out that this patient was brain dead and was getting prepared for organ donation. And I'll never forget the stifling sadness that surrounded that room. It was so thick and I felt like I was suffocating and I couldn't breathe. And so I stood there, scared, clutching at my blood kit and clutching at my clipboard, shaking while my coworker was the one who was able to consent for a blood draw. And afterwards, we went down to our office, collapsed in our chairs, and just cried. Now I have dealt with death before, with my uncle and my grandpa, but their deaths didn't affect me as much as this one did. And I'd, I'd always associated death with grief and sadness, sorrow, but there's something more powerful about this. And that was unconditional love that was coming from this patient's family. Love that looked like your dad writing you a poem, or love that looked like someone rolling in a TV so you could experience hockey one last time with your sister. And love that looked like your son's heart, kidneys, liver, giving life to other people. And I was completely thrown off by this experience for an entire month. My headspace was completely jumbled, and I just couldn't think properly. I was grieving for someone I didn't even know. And my short time with this family was enough to propel my journey for self-love and self-discovery. 
because this patient was so young. And I could see myself in him. He had his entire life ahead of him until one day he didn't. And it really made me think about how fleeting life is and how I didn't want to continue living the rest of my life unhappy with myself. And so I started bettering myself. I'd come home every day after work, bury myself underneath a pile of blankets and watch TED Talks. TED Talks on how to love yourself, how to forgive yourself, how to be happy, the person you should really be marrying, and that person is you. And I would oftentimes sit in my bed watching these TED Talks, and I love watching TED Talks. I'd watch these TED Talks, and I'd just start tearing up because some of the things that they were saying were really hitting home. And I'd read self-help books like You Are Here, where the main themes were focusing on the present moment and enjoying who you're with and the people that you're with. And I would write in my journals until ink ran out. Wake up every morning, look myself in the mirror, and give myself a pep talk and say, you got this today. And I started learning more about what was important for me, my needs, and my values. And one of my needs that was actually really important to me was belonging. And I realized I could fulfill this by doing a bunch of different things, like volunteering, trying out new dance classes. And in this process of learning about myself, I started to love myself. And I started to live again. And one day, I woke up, went outside, it was morning time, 6 a.m., and I watched the sunrise. A soft pink purple hue painted across the sky. And I smiled for the first time in a long time because I was finally happy. Thank you. That was Divine Joyce. Divine is fascinated by all things related to the brain, not unlike zombies. She received her bachelor's degree in biology at the University of British Columbia, and she aspires to guide people through their journey of self-discovery. She loves to spend her free time finding the best places to get tacos. A worthy goal. I think we all can agree. Story Quieter is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Story Quieter is directed by Liz Neely and me, Aaron Barker, with help from our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by me, Aaron Barker, Zach Stovall, Kayla Glenn, and Armin Mordazavi. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Real Artways and the Fox Cabaret for hosting these shows, 
And to everyone who has joined us at a live show or listened to the podcast in 2018, thank you. We'll see you in 2019 in New York, D.C., Boston, L.A., Atlanta, St. Louis, Vancouver, Toronto, Wellington, Cambridge, Chicago, Dallas, Seattle, Milwaukee, and beyond. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.